Hi, my name is Hemin Sinim. I'm the author of When Things Don't Go Your Way. I'm about to have a productive conversation with Mike Vardy. Welcome to A Productive Conversation. I'm Mike Vardy, and I'm joined on this episode by Heyman Sunim. Heyman is the author of several books. The one we're going to focus on particularly during our conversation today is When Things Don't Go Your Way. And I'm sure we've all come across that at some point in time in our lives or another. We talk about the idea of grace. We talk about the idea of will. We talk about loneliness. We talk about belonging. We dive into a lot of things that, again, may seem simple, but aren't necessarily easy. Lots to cover. Now, for those of you who don't know who Heyman is, he is one of the most influential Zen Buddhist teachers and writers in South Korea, where his books have sold more than 3 million copies. And they're popular as guides not only to meditation, but also to overcoming the challenges of everyday life. This conversation is no exception to kind of highlighting some of that. Uh, born in South Korea, he came to the United States to study film, only to really find himself pulled into the spiritual life. He was educated at UC Berkeley, Harvard, and Princeton, and he received formal monastic training in Korea. He's also taught Buddhism at Hampshire College in Amherst, Massachusetts. He has more than a million followers on Twitter and Facebook and lives in Seoul when not traveling to share his teachings. This is a great conversation. It's a lengthy episode, make no mistake, but it's worth it. Here it is, my conversation and a productive one of that with Heyman Sunim. Enjoy. Heyman, thank you so much for joining me today on the program. Really appreciate you having here. We we had a, a, a interesting conversation before we led into the recording here. And uh, it, it, again, just thanks for taking so much time to be with me here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. So this is this book, When Things Don't Go Your Way, Zen Wisdom for Difficult Times. Uh, it's 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 your latest effort. And what I've noticed, um, because I do have your previous uh, book, Love for Imperfect Things, and you also have another book. We're going to link to all these books in the show notes, but focusing primarily on when things don't go your way. The other book is Things You Can See Only When You Slow Down. Um, there's definitely a... a a vibe that you have to your writing, you know, where you have essays interspersed with quotes, both your own insights as well as insights of others. I want to go right out of the gate discussing the the process of of putting a book like this together in terms of, you know, where do like why did you decide to kind of write in this fashion? Is it just is it just a natural tendency that you have in terms of in terms of the way that you kind of journal or, or diarize things or was it something that you you thought about in a more strategic or rather intentional way because we are living in this you know age of social media people are having a hard time reading a long you know many pages of essay so i realized that it's better to summarize in such a way that they can read it and get it immediately. So uh, I intersperse my long essay along with what I would call wisdom drops, mm -hmm. you know, uh, some stanzas that I uh, thought about as I am living my life, especially when I'm encountering um, something very uh, unpleasant right. or something that bothers me. Uh, and that allows me to become reflective and try to be mindful of, oh, what is going on here? 
is there some kind of wisdom that I can get out of the situations? And then I'd love to share that with people. Well, and I'm imagining because it's not an experience unique to you, right? You know, other people are going to come across this stuff throughout their journey. One of the things that, you know, as we, there's six chapters in the book, right? And uh, I went, as I was going through the book, right in the beginning of the book, first chapter, don't be, don't be all right, was the first kind of passage in the chapter one, when things don't go your way. You, you have a line in here, which, you know, someone might be willing to kind of gloss over or just pass, pass by quickly, but it really caught me. In your journal, I asked my fear what I was afraid of. What I liked about that isn't so much the asking it or, you know, what you were, but you called it my fear. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on the idea of, you know, talking to your fear, like fear as if it's something that you own or possess. Like, it's almost like, again, a partnership of sorts, right? I'd love to hear some thoughts on, on, you know, the idea of kind of owning that, or at least accompanying the fear as opposed to, you know, either running away from it or dismissing it altogether. When we uh, acknowledge fear is there, then we can actually see uh, what's behind it. Right. (laughs) And yeah, why are we so afraid to um, face our own fear? Uh, So by saying, hey, fear, come over here. (laughs) You know, you are there. Don't hide it anymore. And, and, and what are we, you know, what am I really afraid of? So in this case, I write my own journal. And as I was journaling, I ask, you know, what am I really afraid of? You know, what is my fear? And this gave me, um, you know, moment for me to really see things objectively and lay out everything, you know, that was internally um, that I was afraid of. How much time do you spend journaling, would you say? I mean, I know you're in a unique position with the role that you have in terms of, of journaling. I'm a big believer in journaling. Anyone who's listened to this program before knows that I think reflective practice is undervalued and underutilized, especially when you're thinking about the idea of productiveness and improving your relationship with time. How much, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you probably don't sit there and you're not tracking your journaling time, but how how much of that time do you, like, it, it almost seems to me like the journal is your ally, right? It's it's my therapy, you know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, way to discover, you know, what's really happening inside. And so when there is a, something that I have to go deep and and try to understand it, then I, you know, set a time. It can be you know somewhere between thirty minutes, forty five minutes, and then I try to really go. You know, sometimes I draw, you know, Mm -hmm. not just writing. I draw and make a diagram and what it is that I am afraid of. And I am enjoying the process. You know, as I'm enjoying the process, uh, I am uncovering, um, you know, one layer by another layer. Mm -hmm. And then, as I mentioned in my own, uh, this new book, When Things Don't Go Your Way, Mm -hmm. I, I discover, you know, I had this fear of abandonment. You know, I was afraid to be abandoned. Right. And yeah. So that's, you know, unless I was keep on asking, uh, I, I don't think I would have been able to discover that. One of the themes that seems to permeate this book, and actually I think it permeates your other work as well, is, and I'm going to use the term happiness initially, um, but 
and you allude to this in uh, I'll, I'll go specifically to the, the part about why are, why are we unhappy which you, you bring up in the book and the cause of you know frequent unhappiness uh, and it's this idea of objects which we're going to come back to because I'm going to share some thoughts about you know what I realized even you know as I was going through the book but it kind of came back to the fore um, the idea of contentment I think is the thing that is 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 what I strive for. And, and you actually, you know, I mean, it does come up in the book a few times, but the idea of contentment is the highest wealth, right? Like that's, I mean, you, you, you obviously practice Buddhism, you know, I mean, I've, I've looked at, you know, the, the, you know, the, the eightfold path and things like that. acceptance is the other thing that gets, so it's both contentment slash happiness. And, and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts between the delineation between happiness and contentment, like the distinction between them, because I think that there is. And so we'll start there is, the idea of people are always, are striving for happiness, right? Like if I could only be happy, if if you know if um, that that's the holy grail. To me, it feels like contentment is more of the holy grail, the thing that we really should be striving for. Because to me, it seems to be the thing that you can sustain. So, can you share with me, based on your experience and 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 the work that you've done, not just in this book but leading up to this book, about what you believe? The, like, is there a distinction between contentment, contentment and happiness? And how to, is someone, should someone be striving for contentment more than happiness? Is it more attainable? Mm. Yes. <laughs> I think, you know, the, the difference between the happiness and contentment is that uh, in the experience of contentment, there is a lot of peace within now, there's a great element, key element of contentment is being very peaceful with what is. Mm. You, know, you are okay with what is. Right. Yeah? Which leads and to the acceptance piece that you also bring up, right? Exactly, exactly. So you are fully accepting the, the moment that you are having and appreciating, you know, another element, I would say, peace and appreciations uh, in the experience of contentment. Whereas happiness, people, of course, they can have, you know, appreciations and also, uh, you know, the element of peace. But we also tend to think happiness as, uh, you know, uh, like excitement. Mm. You know, that's going to give you a lot of, you know, excitement. <laughs> and so we, um, but while we are feeling excited, we and to forget about the, this element of relaxed peacefulness. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, we need both, but I think it's easier. Ultimately, maybe what we truly want is this relaxed acceptance, relaxed, um, you know, peaceful joy that we have. It's funny. I think the time that most people get that, especially in the Western world, is when they go on vacation. Like when they're sitting in an all-inclusive, because it's not... It's not abject happiness that's happening throughout because you're right. There's an acceleration level, like there's this level of excitement or exhilaration. But if you're sitting on a beach reading a book or just like there is this relaxed acceptance, this this level of contentment. Because um, and then it, it, it's interesting. One of the things I wanted to bring up was this idea of attachment to objects, right? And and I've noticed that, and this is something that I, I've also journaled about. Um, and it's largely because I think that that it was the way, you know, especially when I was reading that early chapter about the abandonment stuff. When 
I've noticed, I've gotten better at this in recent years, but I do catch myself, is that if I'm not feeling content, if I'm unhappy, one of the things that I will do to bring that up is I will treat myself. So I will Hmm. buy a nice fountain pen or I will, (laughs) you know, buy, like I will purchase something to create that, like, again, it's, I know it's temporary. Like as soon as I look at it, I'm like, this is a great pen. Oh gosh. Yeah. Did I really, I have 14 already. Did I need another one? Right. You know what I mean? So for some, and, and you talk about, there's another way to counteract this idea of being unhappy, but for some like objects, by the way, I don't think are objects just personally, um, things you would purchase or, or items. I think that they can lie in other areas as well. Not just necessarily things you buy, but like objects can be a, a wider array of things. Am I right? Yes. And, or experience for that matter. You know, I do talk about, uh, small but certain happiness i was gonna get to, i love that i love that because we hear about fear of missing out and then we hear of joy of missing out but i love that that idea and that's from um murakami right Murk- you, yes you, right 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 so go ahead continue so um we can do things that are that that's going to make us you know happier and feeling more content um it doesn't have to be a big milestone event Right. People often imagine that only if we get the big promotions, only when we buy our first home, only when we have our our, our child, or when when I get married, then I will be finally happy. Mm. However, um, if only those milestone events are the cause of happiness, then we have to wait for a long time. <laughs> so rather than uh, conceptualizing happiness as such. Uh, we should instead focus on small things that's going to, you know, trigger us, trigger us. You know, it, it's going to make us feel happier and more appreciative. Um, for me, you know, going to uh, my favorite bakery mm-hmm. shop, <laughs> the smell of fresh you know, bread, uh, and it's 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 really nice. And or uh, I have a very my favorite uh, bench, you know, in a, mm-hmm. in a local. Um, park and i love to just go down there and sit you know late in the afternoon with uh, coffee in my hands and just sit there and relax and enjoy the beautiful um the changing of uh, colors and and also the weathers or or little children walking around smiling giggling laughter Uh, all those things just makes me feel really happy and content so if you have a place or you know, little activity that you do that's going to make you feel relaxed and you know, accepting the moment as it is, then go do it. So the big question as we talk about this, because there's awareness rooted in this, you talk about awareness in the book. You also talk, I mean, one of the things that, that you mentioned will come up here is, is like the idea is that wonderful things in like life take time, right? You one of the wisdom drops you have is wonderful things in life take time, like artisan cheese, flavorful wine, Delicious kimchi, all of which I enjoy. <laughs> Thriving coral reefs, which I do not get to see very often, despite living on the Pacific Ocean uh, in Victoria. Vegetable gardens, lush flowers, like so many things you list here. Financial, but then you have financial security and a fulfilling career. So we talked about the instantaneousness of happy. Like people want that instant. We talked about that before we hit record. People want the instant, the silver bullet, the quick, the quick win, the magic pill. There's lots of t- there's a, there's talk in this book about a pill you can take. 
which I will leave to the reader when they pick up the book to figure out what there's your Easter egg. But yes. why do, okay. So those listening to the show right now, this person that's listening to it right now that lives in, in a, in a bustling, busy environment, they've got lots going on. It's very hectic, frenetic. And they're going to say to me and to you, cause it is, yeah, but I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. Um, which I totally don't agree with, but from, from from your vantage point, when it's saying like take time to just take a moment, you even talk about like ten minutes just to cultivate a sense of awareness. Why why don't people do this? Why do you think people don't re- either recognize that they have the time, and then further to that, take the time to do these like just to be with themselves, to sit in a moment, to cultivate that awareness? Is it you know is it because they feel like I, I know when I've ha- asked people to sit and do nothing for 60 seconds. And this is, I've done this in, in workshops before the comments I get are like relaxing, peaceful, but I also get anxiety, waste of time, bored. And the way that those things are framed, especially boredom, it's like, it's, it's, it's a negative, right? For those that struggle with this or find this challenging, what do you say to them? Hmm. Um, I think it is because we are so addicted to dopamine. Mm-hmm. So anything that's going to give us the hit of dopamine, um, especially you know, as we are scrolling through social media, right? And we are we want something fun and quick, instant, instantaneous. You know, within thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. We are used to that, and in the meanwhile, uh, we lost the habit of you know taking thing, taking times, right? Like right. reading, yeah. <laughs> like uh, it takes a time for you to really you know enjoy the whole book. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just instantaneous. Well, it becomes a contest. Like, a- we, like, how many books can you read in a year? Like, I'd rather mm. read less books and really read them than read right. fifty books because. I set up a challenge that would have me read 50 books or I'm competing with somebody about that. Like that to me is, it seems, I mean, my wife reads a lot. In fact, it's interesting. Last year she read, I think she said she read 147 books or something like that. Oh, wow. That's incredible. But she read, but she doesn't, she doesn't power through them. It's just a ha- mm-hmm. habit. She comes home, she'll finish work and she reads and she, it's all fiction too. Like, I think she's, she doesn't count. Like she has to read nonfiction for the work she does as an acupuncturist and things like that. But Mm -hmm. this is just pleasure reading. I'm like it, 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 nothing as she's reading books, it's, it doesn't feel like there's no, there's no um, stress regarding it. Like, it's not like she's, she's just simply doing it for the joy of doing it. And yet that's lovely. Yeah, it is lovely. And that, but the interesting is that someone, you know, you'll see like other people who are in a book club with her or, or they'll say, Oh my, I read, you know, 56 books and they put it in Goodreads or whatever. She has no interest in doing that, which I think is, is the, 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 the best part is that there is no desire to compete because I think that that would take away the joy of the actual process. Right. And you, I mean, anything in in this life, if you want to really appreciate and savor 
all the goodness, the juice, you know, mm-hmm. you have to slow it down. Yep. You can't just rush things. Like, you know, imagine that you went to really nice, expensive, I don't know, like a Michelin star restaurant and you, you have no time to appreciate mm-hmm. You are spending a lot of money, but you are just thinking about next things. You know, what am I going to do? You know, and then you're going to miss out. You like, or you went to beautiful, I don't know, like a philharmonic orchestra or musical or concert. And yet you are not actually listening yeah. to the music. Rather, you think about other things, all other things that I have to do. I'm so busy. You know, I have other you know, 10,000 things that I have to do, you know then you are missing out the wonderful things that's happening right in front of you. So if we want to feel happy, you know, if you want to feel a little more content, I do believe that uh, we have to slow things down and try to appreciate things, what is in front of us, because you're never going to have the same experience. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yep. uh, you know, tomorrow you will have a completely different experience. We also tend to live, I think, time chronologically, right? Like, because it's easy to measure, like, you know what I mean? Like I've spent 50, like, for example, full, full disclosure here, we delayed this conversation by an hour so that I could continue reading, reading the book and get some more insights. And, uh, you gave me the grace of that. Well, I want to talk about grace too. Cause I think that that's, a, that's, that's such a, you mentioned grace in the book. There was a line in the book that caught my attention, especially since my daughter's name's grace, but this idea of Attention is the purest form of love that um, Mary Oliver said. And then great, or was it Simone? Yeah, it was, yeah, that was Mary Oliver. And then Simone Weil said something about grace with regards to attention to it. I'm paraphrasing it and butchering it. But nonetheless, um, the, that hour, it, it, was, it was tranquil. It was, I had one thing to do during that hour. And believe oddly enough for most people like i got it done in 50 minutes so i had extra time and then during that extra time i made myself a nice cup of pour over coffee that i took like that i very much ritualized because i love a good cup so it was actually funny reading the small (laughs) small the small but certain uh happiness uh that's one of mine is to um so it, it is it it isn't it's easy to get into that once you provide a singular level of focus. It's just, and, and, and there's, I'm looking right now at one of your wisdom drops. We can live our lives in two different modes. One is a life centered on doing. The other is a life centered on being. In a doing-centered life, we feel our life has value only when we achieve something significant. But in a being-centered life, we feel our life is already valuable and even sacred connected to the entire universe and the source of love. What was fascinating is while I was reading, going through the rest of the book, nothing else mattered. Nothing else was going on. Nothing. So when we use like time, and when I say use it, when we, when we dance with time properly, at least chronologically, that, that hour can feel like it goes by incredibly fast, or it can feel like it's something that is just, going at its natural pace. It feels like it's, again, it it feels like you're in a relationship with it. It doesn't feel like you're using it or it's using you or whatever. It doesn't feel transactional where there's other elements of time. Like we talk about Kronos, right? Which is chronal. Then there's Kairos, which is like, and then there's Eon, right? Like there's those, which is cyclical time. And then there's, so there's, 
the way we experience time, it almost feels like time and space intersect when when you're when you're looking at it properly, or when you're when you're kind of in a proper relationship with it. So why why I bring this up is that when we talk about things like awareness, grace, contentment, all very qualitative things, things that are challenging to measure. Someone who is so fixated on doing, someone who is fixated on either by choice or by because it, it it's just it's thrust upon them. What is one thing that that they can start to do to kind of break free of that trap of quantitative achievement, for lack of a better term, than qualitative like living, like living with with uh, more harmoniously. You talk about harmony, like having this harmony between quantity and quality, between, you know, again, measurable time versus time that kind of floats with us. I'd love to hear some thoughts on that. I mean, and it's clear that you've thought a lot about this because that was one of the themes that I felt as I was reading the book coming from my vantage point, speaking of nuance, which we talked about off air. Right. That, that to me, I'm like, this is, I'm coming from where I'm at. I'm like, yeah, this is this is the kind of book that that I think is accessible and needs to be read by those, especially who are struggling with this idea of, I need to check off as many boxes as possible because that makes me feel like I will be able to have more things go my way than things that won't. Right. I mean, if you are constantly um, strive to do things and just instead of appreciating, um, paying attention to what's already happening in front of you, um, it often starts from this feeling of lack, right? You know, I'm not enough, you know, uh, only if I accomplish something significant, something meaningful, something better than other people, then I become valuable. I become somebody important, right? You know, prior to that, I am nothing. I'm nobody. <laughs> I'm not important. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. that feeling of lack, that feeling of, uh, you know, I'm not good enough. Uh, that's the what's underneath, what's the behind all this. I have to go do more and more. It's never enough. I have to get more. I have to accomplish things more. Um, but being centered is somewhat different. That is just like a child. You don't, child doesn't, like you say you have a daughter. Yeah, I have a daughter and, and a son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both. Right. Yep. Your, your children, they don't have to do a lot of things so that you, so that they can receive your love, right. you know, parents' love. Parents' love is already given. <laughs> you know, it's no matter what they do or or they don't do, you will still love them mm -hmm. regardless, yep. right? Yep. And, but imagine that child believes that only when I do things right, then I, my parents will give me love. Yeah. That feeling is, you know, not very good. No, right? well, it, it feels very conditional. It, you know? it does. Very, it feels, again, it feels transactional. Exactly. Exactly. So um, when I get, in order to get something, I have to do something. Right. Yeah. Um, but like, let's think about friendship. You know, friendship is not transactional. It's not like between customers and, and you know what I mean. Somebody who's trying to sell something. Yeah. You know, rather you are just meeting your friend because you are enjoying 
the presence of your friends and there is no hidden agenda. Mm -hmm. You know, you are enjoying uh, the company, you know. So I say all the good things in life, uh, when you feel unconditionally loved or enjoying the moment, it is because uh, you are not trying to get something out of it. Instead, you are just appreciating what is already given to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if we can just switch, just this mental you know, switch from trying to go get something so that I can become happy versus appreciating what is already given to me and feel gra- grateful and practice gratitude, then, um, there, you know, there will be a like, you know, massive difference, the two different way of living. And I just want to, you know, let our listener to know that you are enough. <laughs> you are enough. Mm-hmm. So uh, don't forget that, you know, you don't have to accomplish something significant so that you feel you are worthy. You are already worthy. And I think... I've talked to my friend Patrick about this before because he's written about being enough. And I've marked my friend Mark and Angel Sharonoff, who've also been on the show. They've talked about like, you are enough. I had a real problem with that word for a long time, the term enough. And I, again, thought about it, contemplated it. And the reason that I did, and this might be helpful to the listener right now, is that enough to me felt like I was one step away from less than. Right. Which is not, which again is my own personal experience for how I felt about it, which is why I would used to say plenty. You are plenty. Right. And again, that's just, that's just, you know, kind of a semantics for lack of a better term, right? Like, you know, whatever word, but when you realize that again, there's nuance in enough and it's not just like you enough is just you're one step away from not having enough. In fact, you know, that, that is not, that's, that's something that's going on between your own ears and not necessarily true. Uh, it's important to dig deeper into looking into that. You actually, speaking of, of friends and, and, and socialization, one part in the book, which I really felt, I felt it, was when you were feeling lonely and instead of like going to try to find someone so that you weren't lonely, you decided to go, yeah, you know what, loneliness, let's hang out for a while. Let's dig in. Let's go deeper and deeper and deeper. What, and you, it, again, there's a lot of vulnerability expressed in this, in, in this book, but why, what has led you to be able to be okay and comfortable with digging into those feelings that, that most people would run away from? Cause it's, that's not the only one you've danced with and sat with. Um, because I think that would be helpful to people out there is, is to know that everyone struggles with this kind of sitting with discomfort or even for lack of, or discontent. How, how did you come to be able to do that? And can you find it like a pivotal moment where you're like, you know what, this is the time I'm going to finally sit with something that I don't want to sit with. Is it, was there something in particular that led you to that? Cause again, when you were talking about in the book, you talk about sitting with loneliness and it seemed like there was a level of experience there where you're like, you know, I've done this before with something else I can do it with loneliness. So is there a, a moment where you finally decided I'm going to sit with this very, very particular feeling that I have, or this emotion that I have and dig deep as opposed to, you know, doing something else to put it aside or ignoring it altogether. Right. I think when we had it enough, (laughs) Mm -hmm. then we say, hey, let's just sit with this. 
maybe if we can just sit with these uncomfortable feelings, I will discover unburn, unvarnished truth. Mm. I'll be able to witness the, what's really happening. Uh, only when we are running away from whether it's a loneliness, whether it's a, you know feeling of abandonment, you know the you know any kind of fear you have, then you will never be able to get to the bottom of it and see it for what it is. So you want to see it for what it is. That's what Zen Buddhists try to do. It's accept. You're right. We're back to acceptance again, right? <laughs> yeah. Because if you are, if you see things as it is, it's not as terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, actually, it's going to reveal uh, some aspects of you, which you can actually use it, you know, and empowering. Like, for example, you know, if you say, um, I don't know why I am so angry, you know, when I appear to be very peaceful and kind, but inside I feel very, you know, a lot of anger. Right. Like, let's say, and then whenever any like trace of anger tried to come out, you just try to run away and covering it, you know, try to cover it up, you know, just living a very disingenuous life. Mm -hmm. And then once you say, maybe I should, you know, sit with this feeling, you know, very uncomfortable, you know, I don't know why I feel so angry. And yet I try to be in denial. Why am I in denial? Yeah. And then as you are doing it, you begin to see a lot of, you know, uh, hidden truth about yourself, the very cause of your, you know, anger. In Tantric Buddhism, you know, or what they call, um, the, yeah, the Tantric Buddhism, mm-hmm. they use this negative emotion, whether it's anger or jealousy or uh, hatred, they turn it into a very useful um device for us to uh like use and enrich our lives you know so rather than being you know being a doormat all the time and try not to be uh just show all the you know happy face and be kind to other people all the time once you are including the fact that you you can be angry mm-hmm. then you can use that device of anger you know for not to become the doormat, you know, right? You can voice out, uh, you know, whenever you feel, uh, you know, injustice. You know, there, there's a lot of injustice going on around you. Then you know, you can say, "Hey, that's not fair." You see what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. It, it, and it's it's interesting because uncertainty. You talk about in the book too when you're facing uncertainty, which we will always face. I think that's the the most frustrating thing is when people try to create certainty out of uncertainty um, instead of leaning into this, you know, we hear the phrase, you know, focus on what doesn't change. Right. I think Jeff Bezos said that, right. Focus on things that don't change. That's a valuable lesson in terms of, you know, this, this, this is true. And first off, you have to know that it's true. Like you have to really dig in like to your point, but also you can leverage that to help you when things are uncertain. It's like morning and evening routines, right? I talk about this all the time. If you have a, a solid, future proof. In other words, you can travel with it, et cetera, et cetera. Evening routine and morning routine, no matter how your day goes, at least you know at the end of the day, this certainty is awaiting you or this certainty. So there's elements of there. But what I found when you started talking about this, about the courage to say, I can't, this comes back around to, I think we, we often, 
and again, I'm being very general here. We, we often lean into, I can do anything I set my mind to, you know? So we'll do the work so that we can do something that we didn't think we could do. And this comes back to, and I'm sitting here drinking out of my green lantern cup, which is all about will, <laughs> um, which we will get to before we wrap things up is this idea of being okay with saying, I cannot do this. This seems to fly in the face of everything that we're hearing, especially in entrepreneurial circles. So like, uh, you know, you can do anything you set your mind to. If you, if you don't give up, you know, like things of that nature, right? The, it, why in that poem, you know, the, 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 the poem um, the, from, uh, and I'm, I don't want to say the name cause I'll butcher it, but right. <laughs> the, the poem called courage, right? The recitation of it that you mentioned in the book where the end result is like, Hey, look, no, I can't. And being okay with that, being content and accepting again for someone who, who like, there's gotta be a freedom to that, that, that I think a lot of us are missing out on. Right. Exactly, because there are um, there is social pressure. Mm. You have to follow what everybody else wants. You know, if yep. you especially if you don't know what you want, you know, you end up following what everybody else is following. Right. And so, oh, maybe I should desire what my friends are also desiring, and therefore there's a lots of competitions. Right. And there's a likelihood of failure because of it. Right. And especially when you do not know your talent, what you like and what you dislike mm -hmm. and what you're good at and what you're not so good at. And so life gives us a lot of opportunity to test which path is actually a better fit and which one isn't. So whenever we feel that, oh, this path is not working out, you know, in spite of your parents' expectations or your spouse's expectations, or, you know, uh, be true to yourself and say, I can't, because by uh, saying I can't, I am choosing different path. I am making a choice. Yeah. I'm not saying that, you know, I will not do anything. Actually, I am choosing to do something that will be, you know, much uh, better for me much more suitable. And it goes back to the whole, um, earlier in the, in the book, you talk about your relationship with your father and your monastic, monastic father and the differences of how they perceive things from, a, from one vantage point to the other and this idea of everything will work. Like, I think a lot of people aren't willing to say I can't because they're thinking about the lack. Like, if I don't do this, then I'm going to feel less successful. One of my favorite quotes in the book, actually, one of my favorite wisdom drops. I'm going to scroll back here really quickly because uh, uh, I've got this in iBooks, which is a great way to read books. Um, the greater a person's success is, is the simpler their business card. And I'm like, I love that. Because yes. it's, it's a removal of the ego, right? Like, I mean, there's no need to, you know, shout from the hilltops. Ooh. Right. There's, the proof is in the pudding, right? <laughs> like, it's there. Um, but... But when you're, when you're thinking of, I think a lot of people, and again, you know, I can speak from experience because I thought this is if I don't do this, then how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to do this? What will people think? And more often than not, it works out anyway. Like when I've gone down the path of like, I can't do this and I'm not going to do this because that's the ownership piece you're talking about. Things still, you, the other choices that happen after the fact, well, first off, there's a lot of things that would happen anyway. I think I was talking to my daughter about this uh, uh, the other day, Alan Watts, uh, there was a quote inspired by Alan Watts, like the, 
there's and again, I'm going to paraphrase it, but there's no point in having anxiety about things you have no control over, right? Like it doesn't make it doesn't change the outcome. It doesn't change. And so when you make a choice like that, saying I can't do this, all the choices that follow thereafter are informed by that choice. So you're, look, I guess I can't buy that that thing I wanted to buy, or I guess maybe we will have to take a tenant into our basement so that I can live a life that I, because we did that. Like there's a lot of, you know, we rented out our basement when I first started running my own business. Why? Because, and, and I can tell you that when I started doing this work, uh, my wife said, it's a good thing you quit that job that you had because you were miserable. And we, we struggled and came out on the other side and it was fine. It, it, and so I wonder uh, th- there's this, again, we go back to fear. There's this fear of what will I lose out on if I don't do this? Like it's always coming from a place of not, not again, that fear of I'm going to lose out. What will people think? So this goes to the point of about will, what role does will, as I hold up my green, because <laughs> I don't think willpower is the, I think willpower becomes, you know, there's been lots of talk about willpower versus will, what role does will play in what you've, you know, how we can handle things when things don't go our way? Is will the way? Like, what what role does that play? I think, you know, when you um, know yourself, you know, what works and what's not going to work, mm-hmm. if you have a clear idea, you know, of who you are, then when it comes to, you know, what is going to work, and yet all the rest of the world say, oh, it's not going to work. Don't do that. You know, why do you want to quit your stable job? You know, are you sure that's the path that you want to embark on? You know, they're going to all try to pull you down. Yep. However, if you know that it's going to work and this is not, you know, or maybe you're not sure it's going to work, but you know that mm-hmm. you're going to be happier. You know, you'll feel this is my calling. Then... Uh, regardless of you know failure or success i will do it you know you are doing it as you are doing it you have some trust you know maybe this is meant for me if it's meant for me maybe it's going to lead me to a path that's going to um either in a great lesson you know even if you fail Mm -hmm. you're going to learn a lot of you know huge lessons or it's going to uh, lead one thing to another one, you know, another one, and then you may have a very interesting career. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Interesting life that you never imagined initially. So, so what I'm hearing, and correct me if I'm wrong, is, and I'm thinking about the Eightfold Path a bit because, and again, I don't know it off by heart, but will almost becomes secondary. If you're already, if, 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 if you have conviction with what you're going to do, which is, I guess, a form of will, will, you don't need to rely on it as much. Maybe that's what it is, right? You don't like, cause, cause there's a, there's a certainty, there's a trust there's. So again, all these right. things that are hard to measure, right? Like grace, for example, like when we think right. about the term grace, and, and I, I, I'm going to allude to the idea of people who are saying, like, but I've already made these choices. It's too late for me. You know, that whole, I mean, you, met, you, you use a famous Star Wars quote in the book as well. But then we also have the quote from Darth Vader, it's too late for me, son. Like, you know, where, where Luke's trying to turn him good. But at the end, spoiler alert for those who have not seen Return of the Jedi, he turns good, right? Like he is, he, he is saved at the end, right? So for what, 
if 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 will the role of will is to get you going and then it helps build trust and conviction which therefore it can kind of be a backseat driver what role does grace play along the way with all of with with when things don't go our way you know when things don't go our way or when it comes to even like looking at things that are imperfect or things that you know when we slow down what role does because i think grace gets left behind in some instances we forget about it and it's something that if we tapped into a bit more, not being graceful, but just grace in general, um, alongside gratitude, I think those that can be a powerful ally in helping you deal with these things, right? Right. It, because if you think about it, there are lots of other elements beyond your control right. that is coming to help you. To arrive at you know where you want to go, uh, so like for example, um, like meeting you here and then talking to uh, the audience and listening to this podcast, this is a grace because I never thought about in a million years that I will be able to talk to you, for example. Yep. Yeah. So like all those things from the ego's point of view, ego wants to control. You know, ego wants to be in total control. Mm -hmm. uh, and ego thinks that I can do things in my own way. And uh, only the way that I planned it, if it goes accordingly, then it's, I will call it success. Uh, if it doesn't go like the way I planned it, then maybe it's not real success. You know, it's my failure. However, if you can trust the universe, and trust that it's going to deliver what you need. It's not exactly going to be what you had imagined initially, mm -hmm. because it could have been a lot better, you know, bigger, you know, more spectacular or more meaningful. It doesn't have to be like bigger. It can be more meaningful or deeply loved or something that's beyond your uh, imaginations. So if you can have that, you know, trust, I don't know where I am going to end up. Mm -hmm. But I know that I'll be okay. And I know that this universe, benevolent universe, is going to take good care of me. I know that my friends are you know, successful, but I will become, I will have my own version of my own success. Right? Yep. And yeah, I know that this is very you know, fearful right now. Things are not going like the way I wanted. But this is not the end. <laughs> I'm learning it, you know, because I'm learning it. When I do it again next time, I can do it better, right? Yep. I know myself. Um, as we get close to wrapping up, speaking, coming to the end, uh, the last story in your book, The Tale of Roundy's Great Journey, I, I literally am looking at it right now. I wish I showed it to you, but my niece made me a goldfish needlepoint. Uh, and I asked her to because I found a, a pattern and she was into Needlepoint. I found it on Etsy. And it was based on David Foster Wallace's speech called This is Water, the commencement, which I own the book of as well. Love Wallace's work, you know, uh, lots of, for those that are listening that have not read David Foster, like there's just some, it's, it, there's a depth there that, you know, Infinite Jest is a tough read, but, but like, but, you know, I mean, it, it, some of it, and when I was reading, the 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 journey the ocean part like when roundy you know i couldn't help but think about 
and this ties in nicely to the whole grace idea, but this is water. It's like, you know, we don't know what other people are going through. We don't know. There's a lot of uncertainty wrapped around things. And then you wrap up the book um, with a quote, and you you smatter wisdom drops not just from yourself throughout your, your work, not just this book, but other, but this is from T.S. Eliot. We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. And the reason I bring this up is literally just in, the, in your last answer, you talk, when I come around the next time and I come around, I, I want to, all of the, all of that has me thinking about this idea of people calling it the game of life, right? Or, you know, we talk about James Carson's book, Infinite, Finite and Infinite Games and things like that. And there is such a disservice, I think, in this idea of winning at the game of life or winning in general. So... Let me let me ask you as we wrap up is if someone when someone reads your work in this book in particular especially when things don't go their way and they think well how do I win how do I win um or how do I get like what is what let me let me recollect my thoughts here this is where we need space time and space but for someone who is so tethered to this idea of winning of success at, at at life and they're thinking about it in terms of like just when they're done, when life is over, when they're coming to the end of it. And, you know, as you, as you move your way through time there, you, you think about that more. You think it, you can't help but think about mortality more, I think, as you make your way through, especially when others start passing around you. Right. Um, what, what, what are some of your thoughts around people who have this, this concept of like, if I don't get this, then I'm not winning at life. I'm not winning. Like this idea of winning. Because I think that that exploration in and of itself is a form of winning. Like being able to explore, if you're going to look at that term, that term, I think that that's part of it. But I'd love to hear some thoughts around like, you know, again, recognizing that we're not just us, but there is so much more to it. And that, you know, when you're thinking about, if you think about life as a game, there's a lot of things that can happen that can, 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 affect the outcome of it, but is that really what we should be concerned about in the first place? So if could we, I know it may be a heavy t- topic to kind of wrap things up on, but I'd love to hear some thoughts on that, especially, you know, when we come back to the idea of there's a, there's just some simplicity in the story that you share at the right. end and the right. simplicity in that quote from Elliot Thank as well. You. Um, our ego wants to win, yep. <laughs> you know, our ego wants to be, uh, wants to prove that I am right uh, and you are wrong. Mm. <laughs> and because ego, by nature, uh, it's created out of separations, me versus others, right? Right. But what we really, really want is not winning. <laughs> what we really, really want is to be loved. We want peace. We want love. We want unconditional acceptance. Um, that's what our true nature wants. Because when we are winning, there's always losers. You are winning against some other people. So rather than you are uh, happy together, you, are, you may be happy, but at the same time, you may feel guilty or see other people are unhappy because of your own actions. Mm. Um, so in the end, what we really want is, you know, being 
peaceful <laughs> and feeling of contentment. And for that end, um, just realize that your true nature is not your ego. You don't have to prove yourself because you are already enough and you are already loved. And there is a part of you, which I call awareness, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is unbreakable uh, and nothing can pollute it. And it can never be, um, it can never disappear. So like, for example, we cannot move out of our own awareness. Right. You know, can we ever walk out of our own awareness? You know, this within this field of awareness, all the things is happening, appearing, including myself and others. You know, mm -hmm. so myself and others are appearing at the same time. So from the awareness point of view, others and myself, there's no difference. It is appearing at the same time. And only when we are using our dichotomic, um, this conceptual mind, mm -hmm. then we see things as me versus others. And therefore, life becomes you know, a series of struggle, whether I win or whether I lose. Um, but I think at the end of the day, what we are really seeking is unconditionally, unconditionally loved. We like to be loved and accepted, and we want to feel peaceful. <laughs> Right, it, uh, the it, excitement is good. Yeah, you know, exhilaration is good. But they but don't that last. Last. Yeah, yeah. So it's yes. funny. As by the way, no one can see this right. But as, as Hanum's saying this stuff, like the look on his face, like look, you're smiling, you're happy. But also, it there is this, 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 um, this, this, this kind of positioning of it. It's simple. Like that's really like now again, simple isn't easy. Like, which is why a book like this is why all of your writing essentially exists and why you keep a journal for yourself, too, because it's not because it's very easy to slip into other areas. Right. Because they're powerful. You even quote Maslow in this, too, which is, you know, you know, we talk about the hierarchy of needs. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it we, we try to make things more complicated than they need to be. And and that's and, and when we say we, it's not necessarily the us as it's that it's that that battle, right? That dichotomy, like you're talking about like that, that interesting line of thinking. Um, Hanum, if somebody wants to get started down this path of being able to avoid, you know, when burnout starts to show up, because that's that you touch on this in the book as well, dealing with uncertainty. Um, and when things just don't go their way, what's, what's a single, you know, we talked about this before you record, like a how to guide, what is a step someone can take starting today to start to, make dealing with things not going their way just a little bit better? If we can realize that there is no such thing as objective world out there, mm -hmm. instead it is my interpretations of the my own experience that creates positive or negative experience. So if I judge whatever the experience I have to be negative, then all of a sudden this experience becomes negative. Not necessarily it is inherently negative because we are uh, judging it as such. Uh, so when things don't go your way, we may feel like things are not going like the way I had imagined, but 
let's just have open mind. You know, maybe, you know, it may not go like the way I want it, but better things might be in store for me. Like, for example, you know, one of my close British friends, you know, mm-hmm. he wrote a book uh, in Korean, actually, and he thought that this book is going to be a big hit. And it didn't. It didn't become a big hit at all. But one person, you know, very beautiful lady actually read it and reached out to him. And because of this book, uh, she became his wife. And then she's incredibly intelligent and, wow. and very, you know, talented and, you know, amazing and beautiful and everything. So you may not be become the bestseller author, but you have wonderful wife. So you don't know what's going to be happening. So be more receptive and stay positive. And just because uh, it didn't work out like the way you want it, doesn't mean that, uh, you know, it's going to end badly, you know? So I have a high hope for my life. And then as I, you know, looking for high hope, things will happen likewise. So I want all of our listeners to feel that um, if you can uh, be stay open-minded and you never know what will happen, and then maybe grace will come and guide you. This has been a great conversation, Hanum. Thanks so much for taking the time. Where can people keep up with the work you're doing and pick up the new book? Uh, well, I have an Instagram account and I have a homepage. Uh, so if you can just go, uh, you know, look for Hemin Sinim, which is H-A-E-M-I-N-S-U-N-I-M. Uh, and then uh, you can connect with me uh, on my Instagram account uh, and also uh, heminsinim.com. Uh, you'll be able to see, you know, what I'm doing. Thanks so much for having a productive conversation with me today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Very special thanks to Heyman for joining me on this episode. It was a lengthy conversation. I like having conversations that are lengthier these days. If you like these conversations to be a little bit longer than I have, uh, let me know. I know that sometimes people like to have 30-minute episodes and they can be digested quickly, but there is something to be said about the pause and circling back to an episode. I mean, lengthier podcast episodes are not necessarily a bad thing. So uh, if you enjoyed this conversation and want to hear more lengthy ones, let me know. You can send an email directly to podcast at productivityist.com and we'll be happy to uh, check those out. I I read those emails as do members of my team. Uh, By the way, if you want to check out all the show notes, anything related to this episode, just go to productivityist.com slash podcast 515 and that will get you to where you want to go. Another thing that will get you to where you want to go is some of the sponsors you heard during our conversation today. If you want to check out those sponsors, go to productivityist.com slash podcast sponsors. Click on any of the links there. That way they know that we sent you. And there's going to be plenty of opportunities for you to explore those sponsors. Uh, Maybe there's things there that you would enjoy to have, whether it's software or anything of that nature. Um, Sponsors, uh, checking them out and and showing your support to the sponsors is one way to help out the show. Another way, of course, is to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, even on YouTube. Again, you can subscribe to the podcast. That way you don't miss a single episode of what's to come and can easily search through the archives to the over 500 episodes of A Productive Conversation that have been released to date. That's it for this episode of A Productive Conversation. Thanks again for joining me. I'm Mike Vardy. Reminding you to stop 
doing productive and start being productive. See you later.